You know, it makes me feel like a real proud stinker. Mm, yes, is when I'm listening to a podcast, or especially when I'm reading a book, mm. and there's something that I pick up on their flub. I'm reading the Ian Nathan book, and he makes a point. He's like, oh, he plays Jimi Hendrix's voodoo child. To symbolize the connection between the follies of Vietnam and the military follies of the present day. Uh, 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 that's Stevie Ray Vaughan's version of Voodoo Child in the movie. Oh! Ah. <laughs> wow! Dang, you got him. Nathan. I got him. Got Nathan. Nathan. <laughs> yeah, and fired. Slammed the like red stamp across the screen. Flubbed. Flubbed. <laughs> Epic fail. Epic fail. What a dick. <laughs> What a dick. <laughs> Get out of here, Ian. I've screamed at pod- I've made a thousand mistakes on this podcast. Oh, with yeah? factual information. I know it. You could go back. Mm-hmm. I hope we have a listener who does this. If you are, you get the gold star of the week from the Academy Academy. If you're the listener who is saying, uh-uh-uh, flub on me. Flub. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, te- I'm always... I mean, let's... You know, I got Bill Nighy confused yeah, with that one guy. Callback, yeah, mm-hmm. Academy Award nominee Bill Nighy. Ooh, oh boy, he, did he he got revenge there by getting a critical acclaim? Yeah, for Living, where he and, played. Uh, <laughs> have you seen Living? That is, I'm not. A, isn't it like a remake of Ikuru? Yes, it is, and it's just it's so like it's a well acted. Everything about it is good, but man, it's also like if you need a nap, man, if you need to like. <laughs> You know, if you're, you haven't been sleeping and you need to, you know, and you're willing to pay $12 for a nice, gentle nap, get a nice hot tea and watch Living and just, <laughs> just me, 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 me. And speaking of naps, hello and welcome to the award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, <laughs> the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. I'm Patrick Gremion. Welcome to The Academy and welcome to Bat- a return to Scott. Yeah. Scott, and what did you call this film last night? You had just watched Women Talking, and um, oh yeah, you had you had a you had an inverse for this particular film. Oh uh, yeah, a uh, story of the male imagination. I think it's like an act of male imagination. So in Women Talking, for all you uh, women ta- people who haven't in the know, your spoiler alert for Women Talking in the first. Uh, five minutes of the movie there's like a there's like a uh, little thing that appears on screen that says this is an act of female imagination and i was which is a weird it's a very i don't know how i feel about that uh it's I, a, like, you know, I, I dig it because i think men are allowed all the time to be pompous and insane mm-hmm. in their art mm-hmm. we should i believe i demand equality i think i want to see it uh, from all genders and all sexualities and yeah. all races, that everyone deserves the right to be pretentious. That is, you know, and what? I celebrate it on all sides. And that I is like fair. It. That is, you know, what female Bardo. Let's go. Yes, absolutely. I want to say yes. Yes, female Bardo. Hashtag female Bardo. Bardo. But yes, it mm. opens with a like an a, act. Yeah, 
it says an act of female imagination. <laughs> and, and today's again. film is certainly an act of male imagination. <laughs> it is hundred percent. This is an act of male imagination. And I love like you look at both those movies. Yeah, you can see. I, I also want to say real quickly, it did not make my top ten. I think it's a phenomenal film. It has stuck uh, with me. Women talking. Women talking. Interesting. I I liked it. It's like I I would say that like the stuck acting, in my mind. I think about stuck, it. Think about it. Interesting. I like and Sarah Pauly's cool. Yeah, she's I like, really cool. Yeah, and like and it has like I will say the person in Woman Talking that I liked the most uh was the lady with the glasses who was smoking Michelle McLeod. That mm-hmm. actress ruled. I hope I see her in more stuff. It's a excellent uh excellent ensemble. I liked all I thought everybody was great in it. I actually would have like apparently the novel is a journal. Is the is the journal that Ben Wishaw is writing? The entire oh, movie, and that's how the novel is structured. Because I would have been like, "Let's drop him from the yeah. movie." Oh, see, that's like another thing that I was like, his character, like in the end, also where it's like, Jen, I'm not going to say this. No spoilers. Was screaming at the TV. He's like, "Let them go." She was like, "Let him shut up. Let them walk away. Get out of this town." Like, yeah, he kept being like, "And one more thing, ladies." It's like, get stop. Stop. Oh, Let them go, Ben. Yeah, Ben. <laughs> looking like looking like an Amish Pete Davidson. Get out of here. Yeah, well, yeah, he's got the beating of a lifetime coming too. When they oh, find man. when they find out he was kind of the the only dude ringleader of this escape act. Yeah, this uh, Amish community in a liminal or a Mennonite community rather Mennonite in this community. Yeah. in this liminal space. I think in the movie they kind of purposefully keep it a uh, keep it a uh, ambiguous where they're located. Yeah. I think it's because it's um Oh, that's a great yeah, great lead in here because I have this thought on why Dunkirk accomplishes everything Black Hawk Down was trying to do, but better because of Christopher Nolan's very smart decision to not exactly say who the enemy is and not ex- and keep it all very faceless to get to accomplish the visceral filmmaking goals that he was yeah. after. Whereas really Scott takes a very of the moment Piece of history that everyone remembers in order to accomplish all of his filmmaking goals. And I think Sarah Polly does that too, because her goal yep. is a universal goal. Oh, it's 100% so universal. by not being um, incredibly specific, makes it more universal. Yeah, which is good. I think it's, yeah, and also Claire Foy, really good in it too. Excellent, was, yeah. Excellent. yeah. Oh yeah. man, I will say, you watch that movie and you're like, British actors? They're better than Americans right now. And that's a good crossover to Black Hawk Down because most Mm -hmm. of the Americans in this movie are played by British or Australian people. (laughs) Yeah, we're getting to uh, BHD, folks. We're doing it. Segway completed. Where is Segway affirmed. Segway completed. Segway completed. I I can do a Trump (laughs) thing, too. Whatever happened to the American actors? Where's the uh, Clark Gables? (laughs) Robert Mitchum, great guy. Robert Mitchum, great guy. Lovely guy. He would have voted for Trump. I also have a love and hate tattooed on my knuckles. (laughs) It's weird. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're covering Black Hawk Down this week from 2001, Ridley Scott's second movie of 2001. I love the in the Ian Nathan book, the transition he does. He is already past Hannibal. He's taken phone calls about acting and from his Bentley for his next mm. project. Black Hawk Down. Uh, Black Hawk Down is currently on HBO Max. That's where I watched it. 
Mm -hmm. And you could also probably pick up a lovely Blu-ray copy of it. Oh. I'm sure it's stacked with special features. I was did not have time to get to it, but I enjoyed a nice Friday night watch of Black Hawk down on HBO Max. Uh, Non-director's cut. I watched the theatrical cut. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were talking a little bit about it off air. Um, you had, you've seen this movie a lot. Compared yes. To some of our other ones, we you, this is a this was a this is more of Patrick House favorite. Oh yeah, this was a Patrick House. I remember my I think my grandparents had a VHS copy of this, and I feel like I've watched this at their house like three or four times for like whatever reason. Uh, and I don't know, as a little kid, it's you watch it, and it's like oh, weapons, violence. It's so it's such a visceral movie, mm -hmm. and it and it's like it is kind of there is something about it. Um, that's uh there's and it's not a diss to the movie necessarily or maybe it will be i don't know there's kind of like a almost like a breeziness or like a hollowness to it that kind of allows you to kind of park your brain and just kind of like oh you're like what it almost feels like sometimes i'm watching someone play an rts or like commanding did you ever play command and conquer growing up like one of those uh or no, like StarCraft, I yeah. Well, it's I like, know, it's like I know. Yeah, I have played StarCraft. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like a, it's like a, it's almost like you're watching someone kind of play like a a military version of StarCraft sometimes because you see that overhead and you're seeing troops go this way and troops go that way and vehicles come and this and that and uh, that stuff was like I guess like interesting to watch when I was a kid. I don't know, well, but Scott, uh, Scott compared it to a video game. Um, dude, at, you know, yeah. at the time he does compare it to this like. Uh, kind of a video game style and structure. Um, this is an interesting movie. I've only this is only I think the third time I ever saw it. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like I did not see it in the theater. It wasn't for some reason. It wasn't one I raced out to get. I was just re remembering that my DVD copy is actually a friend's copy that I never gave back mm -hmm. <laughs> from like twenty years ago. Oh no! Uh, because he was like way into it. He's like, you got to watch this. You can borrow my copy. Mm -hmm. I did. And I'm sorry, Mikey. I never gave it back. Um, I If you're missing it, it's here in California. <laughs> they traveled Mikey. from the state of Washington uh, to the state of California with me. And if you want it back, let, you know, give me a book. Give me a buzz. Um, yeah. Hey, or uh, email us at the Academy Academy podcast at gmail.com. Gmail or you could find us on Twitter at the Academy. Of course. Give a good plug. <laughs> Patrick, man. Good plug. Um, yeah, this one, like. I think I found it. This was actually this time around was interesting for me. This was the first time I was able able to differentiate the guys. I think that troubled me early on. I think, and we kind of talked about that with some of the other movies we've watched. It's how difficult it could be to differ, like White Squall. Yeah, difficult all to those, differentiate the guys. All those preppy kids—they all just blend into each other. So yeah, yeah, and all of the Rangers in this have the same like Jarhead haircut. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like this, it's easier to 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 clock the Delta guys because they're allowed to grow their hair out. It's so they all right. like you're like, oh, that's the guy from Game of Thrones. So that's Eric Bana. There's um, uh, Kim Coates. Kim Coates. There's the guy from Kindergarten Cop. The bad guy from Kindergarten Cop is in this. Richard Dyson, I believe his name is. Wow, it is one thing you can say. One thing you can't take away from this movie is that it has one of the stacked, Tyson. the most stacked casts of like two thousand of the two thousands. Uh, yeah, there's um no women talking 
in this movie, but there is a hell of a lot of men talking in this movie. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah, it's definitely boys fighting. Yes. <laughs> it's like, yeah, points made in women talking uh become very uh <laughs> become very relevant in this film. It's yeah, like, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, oh god, we'll get into like one of the real life stories that is utterly like okay, that was the thing that actually throws me on this movie nonstop is when I read the real life story of Owen McGregor's character. Oh no. They changed his name. And I'm not even gonna say what it is because it's actually not it's so like haunt like ugly. Mm. He committed a crime against a child, the real guy. And he was um what what is the uh court martialed by the military and went to prison. Oh and god. It's bad. It's really, really bad. You can look it up if you feel like it. I don't really feel like getting into the details yeah, of it. Yeah, that's not fun. Yeah, I feel uh, It's bad. gross, though, and terrible. And so every time I see Ewan McGregor's Grimes character in this movie, all I think about is the real-life guy. Ugh. And it throws me. when I And I remember even in 2001 I heard about this. And I was like, Ugh. It gives me the willies. And I don't like Man, it. Man, that's like, yeah, because like the way he's portrayed in the movie, it's like, oh, this guy just is good at making coffee and knows how to type. But then he's also like, wow, like he proves himself in combat yeah. situations. Well, he's like supposed to be the everyman. That's like the goal they give. I don't even think, I don't even think the character is necessary for the movie. No, it's just like it adds color and you get Ewan McGregor, who's a good actor, mm -hmm. but whatever, we'll get into kind of yeah, the, the it's, guys it's, themselves. It's... But that was one of the, the, you know, getting back to kind of our initial watching experience. that's always thrown me. In this movie, and I'm not usually like that. Yeah, it, no, like, and that does like it's a bummer it, because yeah, yeah, it puts a black mark on the yeah. movie to me. So, um, the basic story of this movie is that, um, obviously this t is about true events that took place in 1993 in the country of Somalia, and mm -hmm. this is based on the book Black Hawk Down: A Story of Modern War by Mark Bowden, who is kind of the if you have a dad. And they actually read books. They mm -hmm. probably have a Mark Bowden book on their bookshelf in the same vein that they have like a Tom Clancy book on mm -hmm. their bookshelf. He is like a chronicler of modern military and operations and stuff like that. Have you read Black Hawk Down, the book? No, I have not read the book. Yeah, I have not. It was I actually had it on my bookshelf for ages and I got rid of it. Probably on their drive on the way down to California. Uh, I have Threw read it out the window. Threw it out the window. Get hope near weed, <laughs> near weed, California, or something like that. I'm like, here, take it with you, man. You'll love it, whoever. But <laughs> yeah. uh, I have read his book, Killing Pablo, uh, oh. the uh, Hunt for Pablo Escobar book, which I liked a lot. Thought it was exciting. Mm -hmm. I do not know what Mark Bowden's reputation is. I don't know if he's like considered like a conservative, like rah rah guy, or I'm not. I I, I it was kind of unclear when I was like read, trying to read up on him what his um what his deal is but he is uh has written a lot of cool like interesting military history american military history books this book was a big hit upon release and um the initial director who wanted to get their hands on it was simon west oh i saw that yeah we'll be talking a bit more about next week with his magnum opus con air ah man that would be a different movie it'd be a different it, film. it would be a different movie simon west a very like you know, he's a, he's a, like kind of that British RSA school mm -hmm. of guys, and he's kind of like, but he also like with Con Air, most people are like stunned it wasn't directed by Michael Bay. 
Yeah. When they're told that it wasn't, you're like, oh, really? Who was it then? Uh, this other guy. But Simon West was coming off of Tomb Raider, Laura Croft, the movie with Angelina Jolie, if I'm not mistaken, mm. and was tired. And a little bird, yes, it was, yeah, he had done Tomb Raider. And he was a little tired. And so mm-hmm. he gives his call, his good buddy, he, he, he got the rights. He's listed as an executive producer on Black Hawk Down. And mm-hmm. he brought it over to two people, two key people in this story. One, Jerry Bruckheimer, a key person in our universe, in the Academy Academy universe. And when he was too tired, he brought it over to Ridley Scott. Now, as we all know, Jerry Bruckheimer worked with Ridley's brother, Tony, mm-hmm. many a times. This is the first collaboration outside of a commercial between Bruckheimer, the Titans, t- two pillars of our podcast and blockbuster filmmaking of the 80s and 90s, Jerry mm-hmm. Bruckheimer and Ridley Scott. And Jerry Bruckheimer, of course, and we'll kind of talk a little bit more about it next week when we circle back to Bruckheimer is still establishing himself in a post-Don Simpson world here. Mm. But we know Jerry Bruckheimer from Top Gun has a relationship with the military, is kind of a troop guy. Yes. He's, he's like a, a re- troop guy in the way that James Cameron is a troop guy. He's yeah, very like... He's I also, love the, he's I love also the is a Republican, unlike James Cameron. Mm, that's true. That's fair. But, yeah, but he, I think Jerry Bruckheimer is a Republican in that like 80s... Yet again, uh, he's America, a Sandler America, Republican, kind of Sandler Republican. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like... Good, good call. That's a good way to put it because we, we can never actually say anything bad about Adam Sandler. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Bruckheimer and Scott get into it. Scott loves the idea of it, but Scott tells Bruckheimer straight up, and this is actually such a like obvious thing. Like we were t- Patrick and I were texting about it before I read it this morning. No politics. No mentioning of current events, even really, no. could go into this movie. What really Scott wanted, and what he does accomplish, for better or worse, all he really cared about was on the ground, moment by moment action of what it took over this, what is it, uh, 15 hours? Something like Not 13 yeah, hours. Like is, of a course, little under secret, a day. Yeah. The secret soldiers of Benghazi is 13 hours. Mm. Um, and got whatever show us the papers show us the papers um <laughs> we'll, and we'll be don't worry folks is 13 hours on the list for future academy academy episodes it absolutely is yes yeah yes. do we have a, a new updated list that uh it goes it all the way more movies all the way through 2023 into 2024 <laughs> yes it does we will we, we ever have, have a guest will we ever have a guest again Probably not. Maybe if we cover the fan, we'll have Andrew back. If we circle yeah. back to the fan. <laughs> Somehow we're circling. Like we've gotten to the point where we're like covering, I don't know, John Leguizamo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's it. his goal is to c- a complete avoidance of politics and be like utterly grounded and with the camaraderie of these characters within this kind of military debacle so basically what happens here is that um during the somali civil war the u.s who's you know classical u.s like 
globetrotting and dabbling in things. There's a moment early in the movie, it's like, what are you doing here? This is a civil war. When mm -hmm. they actually talk, when they actually give a Somali character lines. <laughs> One of the few, few, few examples of that. And Sam Shepard's like, this is a genocide, we belong, you know, it's like, well, I, mean, I guess this is of your opinion about how much interventional military yeah. actions you find necessary. Um, I mean, we're currently dealing with that in this Ukraine war about how much interventional intervention is needed. Uh, also, I don't yeah. know. This, this, this is why I'm not in the military, man. Like, I don't want to be a part of it. <laughs> yeah, all. well, it's also like you look at Somalia currently and I don't know. Yeah, maybe us being there was it a factor. I don't know. Like, well, I mean, the 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 trail of um, broken countries and terrible situations our interventionalism has led or has left behind over the last, you know, fifty or so years. Yeah, post Vietnam. Um, I'm not great by any means. No. There's not a no. lot of success stories. So, yeah. <laughs> oh boy, if any. yeah. But we gotta talk. We we have to talk about this with regards to this movie. Like, yeah, it's 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 an important it, factor in yeah, discussing this movie. It's necessary context, unfortunately. Yes. So, in it, basically, the the rain the U.S. Rangers and the U.S. Delta Force mm -hmm. are tasked with uh basically they're trying to take down despotic um warlord in uh a, what was uh, their name Aditi Adid um, yeah. yeah and. They're, so they find a couple high target aides of Adid, Adid, Adid. Sorry, um, mm -hmm. that they're going to plan on capturing. That will um, hopefully cripple his operations. Right. They declared a thirty minute in and out procedure, but then all hell breaks loose. Every imaginable. <laughs> Poor operations combined with bad luck goes down mm -hmm. to domino effect it into a all-out battle, and it's known as the Battle of Mogadishu now, um, or the Black Hawk Down battle. I think most people know it as, uh, in which eighteen U.S. soldiers were killed and more than a thousand Somalis, and this is thrown in. It's just like a throwaway moment. And yeah. It's like, holy shit. I mean, we were both talking about this. Like, we gasped when we saw that. It's crazy. It is so many. It's nuts. It is just an insane. That's like, uh, that's like, doesn't each person was like, probably killed double digits. That's insane. To get out. To get Basically, out, yeah. To get out, and it, and so, this is kind of what makes this film crazy because if you think too much about this movie, you get really like, oh, like, what are we celebrating here? What is like, who, what like side are we like? It, it this gets to that entire question: Can you make an anti-war movie? Mm, I think, yeah. When we watch this movie, and I think this movie is like for. As much as it tries with like tagging on that speech from Josh Hartnett mm -hmm. at the end of it, like this is uh, this is pro. This makes these guys 
looked tough and amazing. Yeah. And no, it, at the end of the day, any questions about why what they're any aspect of what they're what's happening and what they're doing. I mean, and there's like there are moments where like you'll have the scene, for example, where like the kid shoots the there's like this child soldier and a, a military guy, you know, an American troop. Yeah. Uh, gets in the way and he jumps out of the way and the child soldier accidentally shoots one of his fellow soldiers who's probably like a relative for all we know. I feel like it yeah, was feels like it, it like that's how he, they're trying to present in it, the moment. Least. Yeah, exactly. Or like um, you know, a soldier goes into like a a teacher's like a, a classroom and he's like, oh, you know, there's I feel like there are moments where like Scott is trying to demonstrate like the messiness and yeah. nastiness of fighting and a, very much populated city. Uh, but then for every one of those moments, there are moments where uh, the, the Somalis are given the, they are treated with the um, respect of a zombie in World War Z. Like, yeah. just like that level of just like, oh, they're just an evil horde that uh, you can just shoot at in a video game. It I, would feels very... I would almost guarantee to Mark Forrester referenced this movie in planning some of the battle scenes in World War Z. A hundred percent. There's there's like a scene where like literally just like an ocean of people come and swarm this one guy. And it's like, what am I watching? This is yeah. not yeah. It, it, so you but it's so visceral and so mm-hmm. like exciting in its direction. Yeah, it's it's really it is entertaining. Like yeah, uh, politics aside, you can't like yeah. I think that's what makes you feel queasy as a viewer is that you're enjoying watching it. Yeah, exactly. It's like you kind of have to wrestle with some things. So on the screenwriting side of this film, this film is credited to Ken Nolan. But as usual, in the world of Jerry Bruckheimer and Ridley Scott and the Tony Scott, and you name it, there is all sorts of um, hired, like hotshot hired hands for this. Hmm. Mark Bowden wrote an adaptation here. Oh, interesting. Uh, Stephen Gagan, who went on to, you know, who won Best Screenplay for Traffic, did a rewrite. Stephen Zalian and Ezra Sands rewrote the majority of Gagan and Nolan's work. Sam Shepard rewrote his own dialogue, because if you have have Sam Shepard, you're going to use Sam Shepard. He's in the movie. He's also, you know, one of the most celebrated playwrights of his generation. Why not? And then yeah. Eric Roth was brought what? in to write the concluding dialogue between Josh Hartnett and Eric Bana. Man. He wrote that entire sequence. The Gumpster. Yeah, but Ken Nolan was on set doing rewrites, and he got sole screenwriting credit by the WGA after everyone kind of as usual, went to arbitration to see who gets credit for this thing. It doesn't really matter. No. Wrote that because writing is not, this is a director's picture. Yeah. There are times where like, it's exactly what really Scott has always dreamt of is, or he is a general in this movie, apparently running like 11 cameras at any given time. And he said if he shot it like a conventional movie, he'd still be shooting it. Mm-hmm. There's so much going on in this movie. It is absolutely non-stop all the way through. Yeah. Um, 
apparently in the book there's a hundred key figures who are mentioned. Mm. And they whittle it down to 39 Man. in this movie. Of course, um, according to Mark Bowden, no Somali consultants were hired for accuracy. And the movie does not feature any Somali actors. Yeah, I, it's so funny. I saw the guy who played Osmond Otto, and I was like, oh, that's the King, that's Kingsley Shacklebot from the Harry Potter movies. <laughs> What's he doing? What's he yeah. doing here, Mr. Kingsley? <laughs> It's like uh, a guy who uh, is definitely not of Somali descent. Yes, uh, George Harris. So, uh, but the 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 goal of this movie, and the poster says it: leave no man behind. The entire concept of this movie is about the brotherhood of these guys in this extraordinary situation, the U.S. soldiers. So if you could turn your mind off and get that narrow with it, and that's why I like Dunkirk because Dunkirk decided. About being about a similar thing, but they never refer to the it's the enemy. It's just this. Right. What he wanted was, but you know, his was about the raw, raw British spirit. Mm-hmm. I guess in that, but and also vis- visceral filmmaking too. Mm-hmm. The and that's what um, really Scott is after here. This has got a just a nonstop massive cast. They all went through like military training together and apparently when they their characters died or they left set they actually felt like the guys all on set felt a pang of um hurt wow they liked they all liked each other so much because they were they felt really wanted to put them into this mold of like we're in it we're in the foxhole together so boy all right i'm just gonna um if you want to add anybody, you can. I can't name everybody who's mm-hmm. in this movie. That would just be uh... insane. Yeah, fool's errand. Mm-hmm. I do like on Wikipedia, though, it is um, separated by where they were in the military. Mm. Their characters. So there's the Rangers, and there is Delta Force, and there are the helicopter pilots, and there is Miscellaneous. Mm-hmm. So on the side of the Rangers, our sensible lead of this movie is Josh Hartnett playing matt eversman um and you kind of call it he is our leading heart yeah um cast member here he's the guy who thinks a little bit deeper Mm -hmm. about what's happening and sees his job not as a hoorah killer and fighter but as a guy helping trying to help people um this the this, this is put to the test throughout this movie this uh mindset yeah also among the rain also among the rangers is Owen mcgregor who plays john grimesy grimes who is um when we meet him uh serving coffee to the generals doesn't get a lot of action i think it's because he's weird they never explain why he doesn't get action, but it's like I think this guy's kind of weird, and they don't want him yeah. around. <laughs> like, yeah, that's such a the thing you told me is such a bummer because yeah. I'm like I like that character before I knew that, and now it's like, ugh. And he's thrown into combat due to kind of chance circumstances. Yep. Also among the Rangers is our guy Tom Sizemore as Lieutenant Danny McKnight, who owns every scene he's in in this movie he's unstoppable he gets shot in the neck and he does not even blink he's like i'm going back i'm having another another round uh well, i love, too, I I'm love round. too about it is 
he's getting patched up. All of his guys have been like banged up beyond belief. And like, you don't have to go back in, Danny. They just jump cut to him riding on the side of a Hummer, just going back in. And that's yeah. one of the biggest issues. Like in this movie, it's like, oh, I don't like any of this military stuff, but at the same time, like that is badass. It's it's like, really <laughs> cool. It's a cool like you you get why like when you're ten and watching this movie or yeah. twelve or whatever. It's it's and you're not like thinking about you know any when everything is just like kind of an abstraction to you politically. Like yeah. it's a cool it's a cool movie. It's really fun. Yeah, and also on the gang, it's like Owen Bremer, Hugh Dancy, nice. Eon Grofeld, Tom Geary, Danny Hawk, um. Mm. Uh, Gregory Sperleder from our beloved, our beloved uh, usurper of Ed Harris in The Rock, and reader mm. of Time Magazine, a good issue of Time Magazine from True Romance. Um, Tom Hardy, a very yeah. young Tom Hardy, so is in he, the mix. He's the guy who's with uh, Ewan Bremer. Yeah. It's so crazy. And what's so funny? My note is that oh my god, he's using his Venom accent. Like you get to hear the you get to hear that's his, his like that's weird... his that's his American accent. That's his It's yeah. so great. Also, I love Bremer's American accent. It's kind of like like a uh, a young Tom Brokaw or something. There's like a weird there's like a James Stewart quality to it. I just I really enjoy it. That's why would... it's super smart for British or Australian guys to take on a southern accent, and we'll get to that in just a moment because they can cover up. They don't have to just like yeah, not do like a newscaster accent is like gets a little clunky. But yeah. Like, yeah, although I I love it. I think it's great. I don't they know. They throw a twang on, they can pull it off. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Easier Orlando for Bloom makes an early appearance as Blackburn, who his entire job is to be the... Um, catalyst. Too, too, catalyst and a too enthusiastic member of the group who's too green, who will yeah. probably fuck up. Mm, yep. And so, There's... on the Delta Force side... Uh, Sam Shepard, aforementioned, is the commander of the entire operation, Garrison, mm-hmm. uh, lending gravity and soul to the proceedings. Oh, I forgot to mention the Ranger Regiment. One of my favorite actor, my favorite performances in the movie, Jason Isaacs as Steel, who Ooh. starts off as like a hard ass, but Isaacs does a lot to show his compassion throughout the picture, and it's a great performance. Um, on Delta Force side, you mentioned Sam Shepard. All, all, basically the co-lead with Josh Hartnett though is Eric Bana as Norm Hoot Gibson, who on the flip side of Hartnett, Hoot Gibson is the fucking cowboy. Yeah, you know, you Eric Bana exudes so much uh, swag, just charisma, swag. Yeah, he's cool in this movie. He's pretty much like un touchable and like yeah he's easily he gets the cool part he's the guy who like does the hard stuff with ease he's the best soldier in the like best like solo so he can do the cool stuff yeah like, I think we top, were, like he's awesome we i think we talked about this in text a little bit yeah he's essentially he's he's australian clive owen he is just like Great, great, cool actor that just never, never quite made it to that next level for whatever. I think you're reason. right too. It's like he got he got a little blame for the Lee Hulk not hitting all the boat, and I think they kind of. And I also think like the kind of like roles that he could do, like Clive Owen, like tough leading man roles. 
Yeah. Like with a little, and not, and he's not youthful. He's a little, you know, he looks like an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, the endless boy American actor, which epitomized, you know, invented and epitomized by Tom Cruise to this day. Right. Um, these don't kind of fit that mold. They yeah. Of that America, like America seemed to want of the endless youth, the endless kind of boyish charisma that they're, they're, Tom Cruise yeah. does that Leonardo DiCaprio has rebelled against, but has kind of lived in a bit as well. The mm-hmm. even Brad Pitt, because everyone always talks about like Brad Pitt's 60 and looks like Brad Pitt. Like that is crazy that he's that old. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's scary. He must have like a tank filled with like Got rare goo, some sort of serum. Yeah, he's using yeah. some kind of evil serum. But like, hey, Brad, but, uh, I got some. Yeah, I got that youth serum you were looking for. Hey, uh, Whistler, Whist- Whistler's here. <laughs> Whistler, what are you doing on the podcast? This isn't oh. Wesley Snipes. Get out of here. All right, I'll talk to you later. I could have been in Black Hawk Down. I went to school <laughs> with Sam Shepard. I taught him everything he knows. And never mind, we'll talk. Yeah, wait, Whistler taught Sam Shepard. Hey, we're we're contemporaries. <laughs> right. Wait, did so, you uh... <laughs> Delta yeah. Force? Eric Bana is in the mix. Uh, William Victor as Sanderson. Mm. Awesome. He's greatness. I love the scene where him and Jason Isaacs are yelling at each other about procedure. Yes, it's like he... so intense and so in. You're so in it. I love it. Victor is one of the great unsung. I feel like uh, someone give him like a. Oscar roller. He's just he's so good. He's, he's and, good. It's, and it's nice and it's nice seeing him in like a non I feel like he's always like cast as the baddie. Yeah. Uh and it's nice seeing him as I mean, look, politics aside and stuff. It's it's nice seeing he, him play like a normal man. Heroic <laughs> like, role in the movie. Yeah. You know, and he's great. And he's a good you know, he does a lot of cool stuff in it. Um Zelge, I always have terrible time pronouncing this guy's name. He's good and everything. Oh he rolls. Uh, uh, Zelchenko Avanek, uh, who what have we seen him in? I mean, so many like he was in White Squall, yeah. Uh, Donnie Barrasco, mm-hmm. uh, Hannibal. He was uh, oh, the assistant yeah. to uh, Gary Oldman in Hannibal. Uh, yeah, I mean, a bunch, you know, tons of stuff. And great actor, great actor, good and everything. He's in the last duel. Oh man! It's something in the uh, future movie of ours. He's great. Um, Nikolai uh, Coster Wildow, who is a, who's on Game of Thrones. Yep, People he's uh, he's in it. Yep, he's a Lannister, he, and he plays an incredibly heroic, doomed role in yeah. the movie. He's good in this movie for his, the brief. He gets like maybe like two minutes. See, that's the thing is like everyone. People will only get like two or three minutes of screen time sometimes or like 20 minutes. Like, you know, it's truly an ensemble film, but everyone is giving it their fucking all. Yeah. Yeah. And you can feel it like all these guys saw it as like, I'm going to like I'm in a Ridley Scott war movie. Mm -hmm. Like this is an opportunity. I'm sure every young actor in Hollywood or if some even not very young, if you go to Tom Sizemore, wanted this role, wanted to be in this movie. Um, Richard Tyson, who I mentioned was in, I remember as a kid being the villain in Kindergarten Cop. Uh, he's in it, and then uh, Kim Coates is in it. Yeah, uh, might remember Kim Coates from his a wonderful role in um, The Last Boy Scout. Oh, yeah, 
yeah, it's one of the goons. As a goon in Last Boy Scout, he's always fun when he shows was up. Was he? Was he a goon? He's in Bad Boys too. Yeah, was he a goon in a? Am I just making this up and hallucinating? Am I finally like having a stroke and dying, or was uh was he in that Wesley Snipes movie with Dennis Miller as well? I think oh, I'm just having a stroke. No, he's um unfortunately no, he wasn't. not. Nah. He could he could have been. He could have been. He could have been. Murder at 1600. Murder at 1600. Okay, Dennis cool. Miller just... to this day is lying beneath <laughs> the White House and the sewers bleeding out. <laughs> Wesley Snipes is like painting one of his Civil War figurines, being like, "Did I forget something? Am I?" <laughs> no, no one remembers that. I at least downloaded the episode. <laughs> help, help me, babe. Help me, babe. Hey, babe, babe. I'm bleeding out under the White House like I'm Ulysses S. Grant. What? Yeah. <laughs> this is like the War of 1812, babe. Hey, babe. All right, babe. I'm talking about helicopter pilots, pilots, babe. Uh, Ron Eldard plays michael durant mm. um who is um becomes the pow of the group i was shooting out michael durant in real life uh ran for um office in alabama oh interesting re- recently uh with the support of trump oh uh, brother yo brother <laughs> he survived though but yeah he became a you know trumpy ex-troop no no yep. surprise there yeah uh, Glenn Mousher plays Colonel Thomas Matthews, and he mm. apparently was the um, technical advisor, the real guy on this oh, wow. on this movie. He was on set for it to help them out. Um, and of course, Jeremy Piven is in the mix as Clifton Elvis Wolcott, the ill-fated pilot of the 61 Black Hawk helicopter. <laughs> Oh man! Oh, I also want to two names. I'm gonna like uh, oh, yeah, say that's two. What I was hoping. Yeah, Stephen Ford as Lieutenant Joe Cribs. Stephen Ford is apparently the son of Gerald Ford. Oh, which is like a weird. I looked that up, and he was like just like he was like the youngest son of Gerald Ford, and he was like an actor, and he was on like The Young and Restless for like 150 episodes. It's just very Wild. weird. Yeah, just that's strange. And then uh, I also just want to shout out Charlie uh, Hoffheimer as uh, Jamie Smith. He's, I think, the guy who gets um, he yes. gets surgery to pot, and yes, he's that he's is great. Right. And it's uh, we'll talk about that sequence in just a moment because that's arguably the most. That was what I remembered the most from this movie. Is oh, that yeah. is how horrifying that sequence is. So really has this on the ground level. Basically, what happens is uh, they are going in. They, the rangers have to drop out of a helicopter to street level and mm. Orlando Bloom's Blackburn character kind of freezes up but then a RPG is fired and I'll, I how many times in this movie do they yell RPG after when it's way too late to yell RPG yeah, it's man, like the missile's that... already coming at them like William Victor probably says it like eight times. RPG! Yeah, I mean, that would be a great drinking game. I yeah. would say, like, the, the Black Hawk Down Challenge, folks. Take a shot every time William Fickner says RPG. And Orlando Bloom falls out of the helicopter. Yeah, into the dust. As it gets hit. And we are all Josh Hartnett in that moment, because they cut to Josh Hartnett watching it happen and be like, oh, shit. Tug? Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, guys. Guys? Guys. So a lot, of, a lot of tug moments in this movie. Hartnett gets out of the helicopter, which is then immediately shot down. Mm-hmm. And it's again, they shot this movie in Morocco. Really seems to have taken over all of Morocco mm-hmm. to do this. When that chopper goes down, 
you're like, holy shit, the filmmaking here. This is incredible. This is the best that... It's so thrilling. Yeah, I will say this is the best that a war movie, a modern war movie will ever look. I'll just say that right now. I don't They're think they're going to put this much time and money into this into kind like, of thing yeah. ever again. And so like on that level, it is like this cool, insanely visceral, also, unique it's experience. Like, it's in the movie and it's certainly on that cusp of it. CGI wasn't all the way there yet. So they still had to do like all of this like ground level, real people running around doing real things kind of shit which they would never do again yeah none of this blue screen it yeah it feels oh my god yeah see that's the, that's why this movie uh works on like my lizard i told don like the part of my brain that enjoys soda loves this movie like the you, dumb your part lizard of my bra- brain like you order you you guys get the guys together get some sodas and some pizzas and watch this movie and turn your head yeah. off you're gonna have a good time yeah it's like i know for better or yeah. worse you're gonna have a good time I know that. Yeah, exactly. And it just like this movie's two and a half hours long. It doesn't matter. Doesn't. No. Even, it cruises because from yeah. this point on, it is just nonstop. Because worse things happen. Another goddamn helicopter goes down across town. They do a great job in like the, I love war room scenes. Tony and Ridley are so good at them. The swirling in the war room as guys are looking at maps and shit like that. Oh yeah, like Sam Shepard. Sam like, Shepard looking at, looking at the maps. <laughs> I love like the here, and he does this part like circles it. Here's where Josh Hartnett's located. Here's where Jason Isaac's team's located. Here's where William Victor seems lo- and shows the entire map. It's like they have to get here. That Sizemore has to get his guys here. Yeah, and like I know it all. I'm like, oh, that's gonna be hard. Like, and they don't. Even, know, they don't even know about Bremer yeah. and Twombly. Uh, no, they and get, and, yeah, they get left behind. And there's all sorts of guys. And Scott does like this amazing job orchestrating like where everybody is, what everyone has to do, the the hard shit that they're all involved in, and how tough it's going to be to get out. Yeah. And then how brave it is when guys like Sizemore gets out and he goes back in. Eric Bana gets out. He goes back in. Like, it's it's kind of incredible. It's kind of, yeah, the, the filmmaking is like... It's, yeah. It, it might be... I think it's fair to say that technically... And would you agree with this? Technically, this is the best filmmaking we've seen so far? Just in terms of scope and, like, just everything... Filmmaking, that, like, pure filmmaking skill, not in service of necessarily, like responsible art yeah exactly not like not like i'm not talking about like a higher like yeah because this like in terms of like an artistic achievement i don't know what blackout down is but it's no but this is the kind of shit that puts ridley scott in the conversation of like a mount rushmore level skilled director yeah like he's so skilled this is so hard yeah he's doing here you feel like you're watching a maestro like pull off the perfect symphony. It is kind of it's ludicrous. All the balls he's, all the balls all he's the able balls to juggle and maintain in the air. Yeah, yeah. and uh, a massive level of credit has to go to editor Pietro uh, Scalia, mm. uh, who's Ridley's guy. The amount of footage that he had to comb through to put this together in a coherent way, incredible. Uh, yeah, and it should be noted, Ridley Scott does what he did as an alien, 
which is huge. Every movie needs to do this. I've got a collection of guys movie. Take 20 minutes at the top to give them all the thing and get to know every single one of these guys. So we're petrified for them when they actually go into the nonstop action sequences. Like, yeah, Ridley does it. James Cameron does it. Like, you have to hit the human element and give it that time to breathe. Like, they did Man on Fire, even. Yeah. Uh And you have to have that in these movies in order for them to work. We need to know the guys. You you give them just enough so that, like, you feel for them. And, yeah, and it is, like, a testament to, like, how slick of a machine this film is that by the time we do get out into Mogadishu, you do have a a connection. With a lot of them. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Now there are like so many people in the cast. So a hundred. Yeah. There's definitely folks. Not everybody. Get, yeah, yeah. There are. Yeah. Like it's impossible. There's like forty guys. No, when the helicopter goes down, I'm like is that Jerry Piven or is that Ron Eldard? I can't tell for. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it's so it's dusty, and they're all wearing helmets and like goggles. It's like, and they all have the same haircut. So it's it is tough. Oh yeah. But it's no, admirable thought... how close Ridley gets. Yeah, and it's like yeah, and it's like and it's enough for like. I think the thing, too, is it's a testament to how, like, charismatic the actors, like, this is such a great cast, and, like, even, They're like, the name... They're all doing great work. Yeah, all even the name, nameless mooks, they, like, commit 100%. Absolutely, absolutely, and I, like, I want to give it, I, like, I, I, it's weird, I've watched a few of this guy's movies in the last couple of years, and he's kind of disappeared off the scene, but I've rewatched Halloween H2O, I've rewatched The Faculty, and I've rewatched this... I like Josh Hartnett. I like mm-hmm. him. I think he's like, I used to think he was kind of a stiff, but now mm-hmm. I think he's like actually quite soulful as an actor. And I think he's very present. And he's, he's a necessary grounding in Eversman because we're seeing the movie through his eyes. Unless you think you're like a cowboy, you're not Eric Bana. I'm not Eric Bana. I'm not, no way. I can't do what he does. But you're Eversman. Yeah. I think you can like feel like you would be Eversman in this, yeah. in the, within this. Like, he steps up. He does a ton of heroic stuff. Like when he has to run through stuff to grab guys and shit's going off around him and he has to lead the way each time out. He's a good leader. Like I like that he doesn't freeze. Like he's a new he's the new guy, but he's like doesn't freeze in any mm-hmm. of these situations. I think he's really good in the movie. And I think obviously, and let's talk about it now, the showstopper scene that he's a key figure in is Yeah. So they're racing through. They catch up with Ewan Bremer and Tom Hardy, and they have to get them back into the fold. Mm-hmm. Tom Hardy is hit. He's got like a fucking firework or something in his backpack. I don't know what yeah. it's like, but it's like catches on fire. He goes down, and um, Charlie Hoffmeyer, who plays Smith, mm-hmm. races out heroically to pull Tom Hardy out of um out of the mix. He's hitting the leg though with a bullet, and if we know, you know, we know like the femoral arteries there. Yeah, and that's dangerous business to get shot in the leg. Like I remember when I was a kid, it's like, oh, you can get shot in the leg. Like I watched too many action movies because, like, like Arnold gets shot in the leg, or Willis gets shot yeah. in the arm, or something. Ah, oh, it's no biggie. It's just... They're fine. That's not where the heart is. You're good. Yeah. This movie teaches you if you get shot anywhere, it's not good. It's yeah. Again, not good whatsoever and so they bring him in he's bleeding big time 
they put him on the table to like, and Hugh Dancy is the doc, and he's great in this. Oh sequence. yeah, the guy from Hannibal, man, what a yeah. cast! What a cast! Like, <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> they're holding down Smith, and they put pressure on the leg, and this gusher of blood just like splashes Josh Hartnett over the face, and we're like, <gasps> and they cut to Tom Hardy, and they cut to and Brad, they all the guys like, <gasps> like oh my god, <laughs> like yeah, and they become kids. Which is like scared kids, which is yeah. like what you want. That's like true, like human filmmaking. Again, this movie, boy, the differing emotions you feel watching this movie because you you want them to make it. You like these guys, yeah, like, and that's like it gets you to that place. You're like, wait a second, what, what are we doing to the smallies? Like, oh, <laughs> you know, it's like, but... yeah. I see. God, the thing is, is too, is I feel like this movie did do an awesome, a good job of like. You do really feel like at a certain point that Sam Shepard is just like, like, oh, this is just like an RTS game. This is just like Sam Shepard's on a giant computer. He's like, he's like using the computer from fucking devs to play the the biggest game of Red Alert. He's trying his best. And that's like the thing I love about this scene. Josh Hartnett calls in and he's like, we got a guy. We need, Mm -hmm. we need, we need to get medevaced out of here. This guy Mm -hmm. is like Hugh Dancy tells Josh Hartnett, he's not. This is not good. What's mm-hmm. happening to Smith? And Josh Hartnett's like, makes the call to Jason Isaacs. He's like, we got to get out of here. But then we cut to Jason Isaacs. He's got a ton of guys in the exact same position, and he's losing it because he's like, I got to save my guys too. And then Jason Isaacs calls Sam Shepard. Sam Shepard calls like, looks around the map. He looks where Tom Sizemore is because Tom Sizemore's job is to get the guys out of there, mm. and he can't. Wow. And he has to call it and he, we can't lose another helicopter. Mm-hmm. We cannot lose, like, we fly another helicopter and we fly more of these Humvees in. They're all going to get be in the exact same position. They're all going to get shot. We're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> That's Game like, over, That's man. Fun. Game over. Yeah. Like, we're Bill Paxton aliens. Like, and they let Josh Hartnett know. And he's like, we can't. So Hugh Dancy's like, then we have to do something. We have to clamp the artery. Mm hmm. So they have to do this surgery scene where they have to reach in, like uh, Josh Hartnett has to reach inside the leg, and they're pulling on this artery, and it's slipping and tearing, and there's blood everywhere, and they cut to Tom Hardy's holding the guy's hands above his head, wow. and the cut look at Tom Hardy's face is like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I don't like this at all, and I have to be here. Yeah, and, and it's like there's like imagery in this movie. That like sticks with you because it's yeah because it's like yeah the blood spurt uh, when that one guy um, in the Humvee the Humvee gets attacked and he just like becomes half a dude yeah that's like man the, gu- that- the guy gets shot with the RPG missile and it doesn't go off and he's just got a fucking missile like it is like chest <sighs> or even when Danny Hawk gets shot in the neck when he's on the gunner on yeah. top. And they have to hold what him, is just... and he dies, and his body's just back there for another like six hours. Oh god! And just his friends guy. have to like, and he, and they establish him because he's the funny guy. Yeah, like he's doing all the bits at the beginning. He gets of the a movie. riff. Yeah, he gets to riff and do all these jokes. He's like the first to fucking die. And... It's it's a bummer. It's like yeah, well, and even like. Man, yeah, like the visuals in this movie are just like yeah. There's like also like. A guy like explodes 
Yeah. Like an RPG hits a, a soldier and he just blows up. And it's like one of the craziest. And I don't know. Even, like this like, movie goes hard. Survive, like Ewan McGregor gets blown up, gets covered in like rocks and they have to dig him out. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just like it's like it, it puts you there. That's his entire goal is to put you there in the moment with these kids. And like feel exactly what they are feeling mm-hmm. in these moments. And it's 1000% successful in that goal. And it's and kind of incredible. Like before we talk about the more, I'm like, I kind of want to watch it again. Like it's yeah, it is like, I think it's like one of those things where like, and I don't know how you fix it. I don't know how, like um, if it's like, yeah, you do a Dunkirk or a, or it's even easy. like the more extreme top gun, uh, Maverick, where it's like, yeah, you just you're fighting an invisible enemy. Yeah, that's a good somehow. example. Is like Top Gun Maverick, like never announcing anything about mm-hmm. what they're fighting, but right. getting them this mission that we're yeah. a part of. But the thing though is, you know, the reason why this movie, the problem is, the reason why this movie is so good is, you know, you are in the thick of it. You are fighting something, and I do think like one reason why this is good too compared like it's not you're not fighting cgi michigas you're not fighting aliens you're not fighting like robots i don't know it's a tough it's a really tough uh well, this is the this is the um the inherent difficulty in war movies yeah it they're always going to be some level of a celebration of war which is a queasy feeling yep of war and heroism within combat and there should be no wars man you know, I'm holding on my peace signs right now. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah, and we shouldn't that... have any. We shouldn't have to deal with any of this, and yet we we do. And then it gets celebrated, and they have full cooperation with the U.S. military. They would not have all that gear. <laughs> oh if, yeah, like because it is a celebration, even though this was a failed mission. This is a celebration of the entire band of brothers and what can be done because. It's actually miraculous they only lost 18. It's truly nuts. Yeah, it is like, it's truly, especially when you consider like the, how outnumbered and outgunned they were. Yeah, cause especially like towards the end of the movie, it gets to the point where everyone's just starting to run out of ammo. Which like, is scary as hell, like when Josh Hartnett's like, this is my last fucking clip, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and it's like, oh no, Josh, get out of yeah, there, buddy. And, uh, like, I don't think the Somali guys are running out of ammo anytime it just sure doesn't seem that way <laughs> yeah like they are they got piles of piles brother yeah but that's oh, like man. when eric Bana comes in with his guys like on foot like racing in like taking out dude they do that part where they like strangle the guys like 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 they're yeah. like all or something <laughs> that was insane that is like maybe the most one of the more insane moments where and then like the other guy like looks to his left or whatever and it's like wait a minute you're not my friend yeah, yeah. and like they come in like the most hardcore fucking operators. I just mm-hmm. take every, like take everybody down. But then, like they're th- like when the helicopter comes in at the end and is blowing up the roof where all the Somali guys are, mm-hmm. and it's just like, how did they shoot this? This is so insane. All of this is feels real. Yeah, and yet simultaneously, you're like, they are just mowing down faceless human beings. It is yeah, that's it's, very uncomfortable. Yeah, it's World War Z zombies. It's kind of a bummer. I wish that like because you look at like other movies, I feel like um 
we've gotten better with uh, not always gotten better. Sometimes we've gotten worse, but like, yeah, cause I'm looking at you, Peterberg, but, uh, <laughs> oh yeah. 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 Peter Berg, <laughs> yeah, yeah but, but uh, I think on the flip side, um, movie like green zone with Matt Damon, the Paul Greengrass movie makes yeah. a real attempt. And green zone is a very radical movie. If you haven't seen it recently, it's very, and there's a reason it failed at the box office. Like right. it has all these born esque action sequences, but it's a legitimate attempt to, question the entire iraq war at the peak of the iraq war oh. yeah oh and then on the on the subject of paul greengrass captain phillips too i think does a good job yes. of like seeing like both sides uh and uh kind of giving you an idea giving you uh and necessary because i think like the biggest sin black hawk down commits is that you really there's like a you know a couple of, like you know sentences about like uh, you know, Somalia is currently in a civil war, and this yeah. and that, and Americans have come in for peacekeeping, and and it's like one of those movies where, like, man, if they had just like well, given us like utterly asinine speech, Josh Hartnett gets in the gives in the hospital at the end of the th- or over the graves at the end of the thing, where he's like, "What is a hero?" I, you know, it's just like you yeah. feel bad for him having to even read the lines because she was like, "What are you? What is this like? What does this even mean? This is just like claptrap to try and make this like emotional." Yeah, that's that's the man. See, that's the problem. Is like there's no uh, there's no Giovanni Rabisi mama mama moment in this movie. We're like, yeah, we're like his character is dying and saving Private Ryan, and it's this very personal, like just visceral, yeah. like absolutely it, it, nothing like the Adam Goldberg scene in like Saving Private. Ryan. Yeah, nothing. Well, at that all. movie does a better job of characterizing the enemy than this movie which is crazy that's so insane saving Ryan ryan's a better movie than this i'll say oh, it. I, I, I don't like to um be that unequivocal about things on oh this yeah 100 percent. well yeah well it's like, also the... because ridley is missing the the human element maybe. human element like human element and like he's not um he's a technician yeah, he's a great, great, spectacular technician, but he's not Steven Spielberg. You know, he gotcha. doesn't care. He he's not even Paul Greengrass because I think Paul Greengrass has committed politics. In yeah, what he does. well, and I and I think that Paul Greengrass, like you know, like um, as corny as some people found it, the the end of Captain Phillips when Tom Hanks is like. The greatest out. acting it's the greatest acting moment of Tom Hanks's career is what it is. Thank <laughs> you. Yes, 100%. <laughs> although uh although Elvis, I'd say a, a uh, close Elvis. second is in Elvis when yeah. uh, <laughs> oh he's white. <laughs> <laughs> that is used as a as a like uh record scratch moment. Oh man, Elvis, what a movie. Ooh, what a movie. No, best, picture. A movie. Not best, best picture. Best picture. Best picture, Elvis. Elvis. Tom, <laughs> Tom Hanks the that a goose, this gloop looking motherfucker in that movie. God damn it. God yeah. bless. Oh, God, God bless. bless. I love God our I love our I love Tom Hanks. But yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I, because there isn't like if they had given Josh Hartnett, and I don't know if he's up he's certainly not I like I just said I liked him, but I don't think he's Tom Hanks. Like if they had given him that or one of these guys that moment when they got back to base here, instead mm-hmm. of that stupid speech, you just show them like freaking out. That would have been incredible. Yeah. Like, have Kim Coates, uh, assuming he didn't get killed in this movie, have him. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Have him, like, you know, because, like, he's, like, 
you have him. He's introduced in this movie as like making a uh, uh, a children's book for his daughter, I think, yeah. or like, uh, or he's like he's drawing like a a child like he's drawing he's a, a comic book. Yeah. yeah, and like, yeah, what's that guy's brain? Where's that guy's brain gonna be after going through what he went through? Like, how do you go back to writing your children's book after experiencing like? such horror you know what i mean i don't know it's like i I, I think he's ridley is all about like accomplishing and executing as a filmmaker Mm -hmm. i don't think he has a broader like human theme that he cares about in almost any of his movies it's just about like did he execute it really really well like maybe not, you know, Alien, Blade Runner, Belmont Louise. I don't know. It's interesting. He's an interesting guy. The further along we get, there's there's things that are missing that would put him because like he's so strong technically. But if he had like a few of these other things, you know, you talk about him in the same category as Spielberg or Scorsese, but he doesn't. And he never has, and I don't think he ever will. Gotcha. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. It's it is like yeah, and it's like I think I was trying to think about like other war movies. Yeah, it just yeah it doesn't have the emotional resonance of a Saving Private Ryan. It doesn't have that like the uh, the religious grandeur of a Thin Red Line. It doesn't have that like you know yeah. so sublime profundity or whatever is in that film. Uh, it's, it's or difficult. even like the like personalized passion that you saw in recent ones like Dunkirk or nineteen seventeen even. Yeah, there's some really good moments in both those movies that are very, like, and it's just, it's, yeah, it's a bummer, because, like, I do, like, this is, like, a fun movie to watch, but it is, like, yeah, this is, like, yeah, you could say this is, like, almost, like, the first movie to, like, look like a video game in some ways. This is, like, this is, like, the, maybe this is, like, the the predecessor to this is like proto video game cinema we're experiencing. Cause like, yeah, you watch it and it's like, Oh wow. This does feel like I'm watching like call of duty, modern warfare or like, uh, yeah, like an RTS. It does feel like there's shit. There's like a game called command and conquer generals that came out after this that I a hundred percent feel like they crypt. Like they a hundred percent crypt everything from that game for this game. Cause it is just like Americans versus like terrorists and like, and it's horrible. It's not a good, the like, mm-hmm. politics of the game are like odious. Like, oh man, there's stuff about that game. That's so cringe. And that gets us to actually yeah. the time period for which this film was released. I also want to mention one fun fact that I read that um, mm-hmm. apparently Ridley went to Russell Crowe to play Hoot, the Eric Banner role first. Of course, that like yeah, because yeah, he's a big boy. He's one. Of, yeah. He was the last of the big boys. Yeah, because like they don't. Yeah, and I wanted to say this earlier. They don't make movies like I like Confidential anymore. No, that's why Eric Bana's and Clive Owens are like they've gone the way they have of the to go fucking to, they have to go on. They have to go on TV shows or whatever because yeah. it's like they yeah they the big boys we're losing them. They don't yeah. make as they don't make them as much at least. They all you know because like the movies have to like say something, be about something these days if they're not. A Marvel movie or something like that. Yeah, it can't be just these mid-tier like this ugly guy has to solve a crime. Yeah, kind of movies. Like, not that yeah, I don't know, no- those guys are both hands like Clive and Ben are hunks. <laughs> you know, they're not even ugly guys. But yeah, Noir is dead, man. You yeah, know, it's just yeah, <laughs> it's just not not the same. But um, I guess Russell Crowe recommended Eric Bana for the nice. role because he couldn't take it on. And he's like, there's this guy, he's really good, kind of like me. <laughs> 
you know, Australian tough guy kind of guy. And um, I guess really Scott had to call Eric Bana directly because they couldn't even figure out who his agent was. Oh, wow. Time. He was so like fresh on the scene because he had just done Chopper, which kind of um, put him on the map, put him on the map. So um, Black Hawk Down, as we mentioned before, is Ridley's second movie of 2001. First was Hannibal, released in the spring of 2001. Obviously, between the spring of 2001 and December 28th, 2001, in which Black Hawk Down was released, there was a major world event. Mm. September 11th, of course. Which kind of obviously had a massive effect on art. And I mean, like, the drowning pool bodies at the floor song was banned. They put in, they removed the Twin Towers from Zoolander. Yeah, didn't they remove them from the end of Gangs of New York, too? No, they they do, but it's actually a very poetic way because it's showing time passing. So they rise and they come oh, and they disappear. Okay. That's good. That's treated well. That's fair. It's very good. Very good. But it's a little. It still is like it's. It makes a point mm. of they 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 tried to do everything they could to make a point and kind of allude mm-hmm. to this. Like even Munich, starring Eric Bana, like the oh. final sequence, the Twin Towers are in the background when they're talking about what they did. Yeah, you know that the like it's very in the head. <laughs> Steven Spielberg's uh, 9/11 movies, War of the Worlds and Munich, are fascinating. By the way, yeah, that is. Yeah, I forget that War of the Worlds is a hundred percent like a, a movie about yeah. yeah 9/11. Yeah, it was just impossible. In the same vein that we're like living in a time where we're going to be stuck with pandemic-related things in movies for the next like five years. Yeah, it's going to be coming up. It's just impossible not to. Like it's a reflection. Yeah, it's, it's we're living in it. We're mired in it right now. How could you not? How could you not? Uh, this movie was completed and ready to go, and Ridley fought for it to keep its release date because they were a little concerned. He's like, now, and to me, what it symbolizes is, and it's somebody. So I want to bring up um, uh, Newsweek writer Evan Thomas considered it one of the most culturally significant films of the George W. Bush era. Interesting. He suggested that the film was presented as being anti-war, but at its core is pro-war. He further wrote that, though it depicted a shameful defeat, the soldiers were heroes, willing to die for their brothers-in-arms. The movie showed brutal scenes of killing, but also courage, stoicism, and honor. The overall effect was stirring, if slightly pornographic, and it seemed to enhance the desire for Americans for a thumping war to avenge 9-11. Mm. And I see it. That's all there. Yeah. And I, I think, think that's fair. Yeah, I think it's utterly fair in that acknowledgement is that the unlike Green Zone, unlike Hurt Locker, unlike some of these other ones that are basically trying to show like, ooh, I don't know about this. And there was a lot of movies from that era. There's other podcasts that have done full rundowns of... <laughs> the non-stop levels of the post 9-11 liberal movie. This one yeah. is not, this one I think is more successful to audiences. It doesn't ask any questions as to why they are there. Does not no. ever bring that up. They are there as soldiers. Their job is to kick ass and be there for their brothers. Yep. And that's what this movie is about. And depending on where you lay on the spectrum of beliefs, that could be awesome to you. Or it could be turn your stomach a bit. Mm-hmm. We report. You decide. 
<laughs> uh, limit, released and limited release on December 28th, 2001 to make it eligible for the 2001 Academy Awards. Uh, it cost, by the way, $92 million to make. Not oh, wow. Any, not a, uh, fairly expensive. Yeah, especially for the time. Made $173 million, Deemed okay. Uh all things considered. And I think that's right, because it was expensive. That's it, you know, and you throw in um marketing and all that kind of thing. Right, right, right. And it's it's a rough movie. Like yeah, you know, it's, it's not, not it's, it's very violent. It's it's wild. Violent. It's wild this movie was released like around Christmas break. This is not a doesn't yeah. feel Christmasy. It's hard to like I guess like the best time to release this type of movie would be like the summer. I don't know. It's a hard one. It's yeah. a hard sell. Memorial Day. Yeah, Memorial Day. There we go. Perfect. Yep. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, summer. Yeah, I think summer as well. Uh, movie has an approval rating of seventy six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. The website's critical consensus reads: Though it's light on character development and cultural empathy, Black Hawk Down is a visceral. Pulse pounding portrait of war, elevated by Ridley Scott's superb technical skill. Yeah, that's that run tomatoes. They usually get it uh, not the best, but that time they they got hit the. Yeah, that's right. I think I agree with RT for once. Uh, Roger Ebert gave it four stars out of four. Interesting. Uh, he said that films like this help audiences understand and sympathize with the actual experiences of combat troops instead of trivializing them. Into entertainments. Hmm. Empire Magazine gave it a verdict of ambitious, sumptuously framed, and frenetic. Black Hawk Down is nonetheless a rare find of a war movie which dares to turn genre convention on its head. Sumptuously framed. Sumptuously I don't know. Sex, 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 uh, Mike Clark of USA Today wrote that the film extols the sheer professionalism of America's elite Delta Force, even in the unforeseen disaster that was 1993's Battle of Mogadishu, and praised Scott's direction. In relating the conflict in which 18 Americans died and 70-plus were injured, the standard getting-to-know-you war film characterizations are downplayed. While some may regard this as a shortcoming, it is, in fact, a virtue. Um, Sure. Okay. I mean, yeah. Also, I think I uh, I forgot to say this earlier. Just have to really quickly say the movie begins with like a Plato quote. uh, Only the dead have seen the end of war. And uh, that's not an actual Plato quote. Uh, I've spent all night because I've, you know, I've read my Republics and Timaeus's and symphony and symposiums. And I was like, oh, which uh, Plato tome was this in? And apparently that is a quote that was misattributed to Plato by uh, General Douglas MacArthur at a farewell address to cadets at West Point in 1962. The actual person who said that was uh, George Santayana. So, uh, yeah, just it is like one of those things where it's like you got this hundred million, nearly hundred billion dollar movie. I think it sums up, though, the flaws in this movie. Yeah, they had a goal. Mm hmm. And they were going to slam that goal through the square peg, mm-hmm. no matter how much they had to bend, yeah, wiggle, fib, chip off, chip yeah. off, in order to achieve this goal. Like factual basis, 
cultural sympathy. Mm. Whatever. The goal yeah. is on the ground, visceral filmmaking with the guy. Yeah. They got and it, they, I guess. They got it, I guess. Yeah, yeah they got <laughs> it. Nominated for four, count them, four Academy Awards. Oh, Best right. sound, won it. Best editing, won it. And probably correct call there. Certainly most editing. Best yeah. cinematography for Slalomir Idzayak, Id- 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 uh, who was uh, Christoph Kieslowski's guy. Wow. <laughs> he did the like three colors and stuff like that. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Groovy, man. Uh, and uh, this is his um, this is his single experience with Ridley Scott. Mm-hmm. He's currently 78 years old and seems to have, may have be retired at this point. Um, and of course, also nominated for Best Director, Ridley Scott, in his um, third, if I'm not mistaken. Was it his third Academy Award nomination for after, um, no, second, Thelma yeah. and Louise was his first. Yep. Not to, oh, no, second, third, because of Gladiator. Yep, yep, yep. Sorry about that, gang. We're getting our Academy Award history. We'll get it down. We're movie heads. Um, yeah, big did movie not boys. win. Did not win that year. Uh, mm-hmm. That year in 2001, of course, um, Ron Howard won for A Beautiful Mind starring Russell Crowe. Okay. So there you go. Yeah, there you go. Oh, there what you other go. movies came out? What other movies came out that year? Oh, boy. Uh, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Rings dropped that year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, Maholland Drive. Yeah, there yes. we go. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's, yeah a, there's a there's a major picture from that year. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm looking at the films nominated. It's Gosford Park, Lord of the Rings, Maholland Drive, Black Hawk Down, and A Beautiful Mind. And it's a beautiful. I don't know. It, and I and I'm saying this as a Robert, Ron Howard apologist. I loved me some 13, 13 lives, folks. I'm, but like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, hey. maybe. Maybe that movie's great, and I just uh, need to give it another shot. A Beautiful Mind. I don't know. Yeah. Um, where was Michael Bay for Pearl Harbor that year? We'll talk mm, about it, talk about it soon. Snub makes, you, <laughs> makes you think. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, it didn't win, but um, I think it's, you know, in Ian Nathan's book, he said that it's the most influential, it's more influential than um, Saving Private Ryan. As a war oh, movie. Wow. And I think um, to filmmakers and to troops, absolutely. To average movie going audiences, they remember the hell out of Saving Private Ryan, I yeah. would say, compared to mm-hmm. this. And I don't think we should even compare and contrast them too much. But I do feel that really Scott's style in this the certainly has an influence on, like you said, video games, the zombie horde movies, the. Um, I, I think Christopher Nolan and Sam Mendes and Paul Greengrass would all be lying if they said this didn't have an effect on their war films to come. Mm-hmm. Even Catherine Bigelow, probably. You yeah, know, this, I mean, this I... is the movie that, even more so than the opening sequence of Saving Private Ryan, brought us to a ground level with like extreme violence and yeah, I... the hardcore, like in the, in the zone. With these troops, you know, love it or hate it, I do the, yeah. A lot of the modern cinematic language for modern war cinema does come from this movie. This yeah. is like an urtext in that regard. 
Yeah. And regardless of the political structure, I think you're absolutely right. This is a, also a absolutely key Ridley Scott film and performance from Ridley Scott. Yeah. It's it's a it's a it, you can like keep that lizard part of your brain in control, man. You you'll have a fun time. I love he shows everything he does well, and every maybe everything he does that he can struggle with at times too, because I think human grounding is tougher for him, and it's like compromising. Any level of like social response? Does he have a social responsibility? I don't know, but mm-hmm. when you're making a war film, these things do need to be thought about. I think very, very seriously. If you're making a war film, I don't know if he did. I don't know if he even cared. Doesn't matter. Huge hit and kind of basically puts him in. Um, if Gladiator started it, this finishes it. He's god tier director. Yeah. Yeah, to he's today. he's in the he's in the canon now for a lot of folks. He's yeah. like, yeah, this kind yeah. of solidifies him as a serious a serious director. Yeah. One of the guys when he puts something out, we watch it. We go to the theater for his stuff. Probably already did before that, but now for certain like if he's in it, if he's doing it, that means it's a serious movie. Someone to watch over me to the world. Maybe or in the past, but actually his next film Matchstick Men He's de- he's heading back into that zone to more successful results. Who's to say? We'll talk about it in a few weeks. It but has one of the it has a great cast. It does. But really, Scott is riding high right now. And uh in two thousand one and you know, he's in his sixties, but he's he's in it. He's in it, baby. Mm-hmm. If you feel that um Black Hawk Down Fairly represented everyone involved in the Battle of Mogadishu. <laughs> Don't email us at the Academy Academy yeah. Podcast at gmail.com. But if you know, if you felt like talking about anything else, you could reach us there or on Twitter at the Academy. <laughs> Next week on the show, we return to our subseries, Visionary Alliance, a Simpson Bruckheimer digression. Don Simpson is dead. Jerry mm. Bruckheimer very much alive. And oh yeah, he's grooving. He is moving in a groove, and he is hitting new peaks. Next week, we talk about Con Air and Armageddon in a thrilling double feature. I can't wait. I almost threw Armageddon right after I watched this last night or Friday night. Um, I want to catch up with my friends uh, Rockhound and uh, Will Patton. And Yeah. (laughs) A chick. I think his character's name. It's insane that I know the names of characters in Armageddon. That's like... Yeah, Can't it's good. Watch it. It's it's a fun film. Uh, Con Air, I would guess, is on Hulu right now um, hmm. for the time being. But it is also available on Blu-ray. And Armageddon is on HBO Max and also on Blu-ray. The following week, we are pleased to announce the insanity of this entire universe has continued. And we have another sub-series Oh fresh, goodness! A fresh subseries. So, Patrick and I are trying to put together a semi-comprehensive view mm-hmm. of blockbuster and mainstream Hollywood filmmaking. Since the Duelist kind of is at the tail end of New Hollywood, as we head into more of a commercialized realm, mm-hmm. if the Duelist is our starting point here, 
a key figure in all of this. We've talked about a lot of advertising and I talked a lot about how music videos had an effect. And we've talked a bit about the rise of these directors, starting with the Scott brothers and the RSA associates, but also with propaganda films and anonymous content. And perhaps the key figure in that universe on the American side of things, who about decade or two younger than the, than the Scots, but kind of picking up their mantle and continuing it to today in both technology, advertising, and mainstream filmmaking is, of course, David Fincher. He has come up before Alien 3 mm-hmm. episode. We got into his background quite a bit there, so we're probably not going to – we're not going to backtrack. You can go listen to our Alien 3 or Lance Henriksen episode to mm-hmm. discuss that. But we are pleased to announce our new Digression sub-series. You want it darker. The David Fincher story begins in two weeks. This will be weaved in and out of Scott Scott for the it's rest part of, of the, the story. Run. It is part of the story, in our opinion. And we will be talking about Seven in two weeks' time. And Man, yeah. I'm excited for that, too. It's on HBO Max. It's on Blu-ray. It's a classic of its form. Uh, it's, and we're thrilled. Like We're hoping, and email us or check in with us on Twitter if you disagree. Mm-hmm. We're hoping this weaves an even bigger picture to this story of where we are today, which I kind of see like, obviously we're going to go past it in some senses, but this, the story runs from the duelists to Iron Man and maybe the dark Knight. man. Now what it was, what these big movies were and how they kind of, the, the weaving of advertising and music videos throughout it as well and kind of where we're to where we are today of like iron man the dark knight and the rise of peak television and streaming it is like that has this on has this all of this on life support god it is so yeah because it is like we start off at like the peak of like new hollywood and then we end with essentially the death of the auteur like that's kind of like where where things uh kind of like you know, end up by the time Iron Man's Dark Knight arrives, like kind of like the writing's on the wall a little bit. And where these characters, Ridley Tony, Ridley and Tony Scott, Jerry Bruckheimer, David Fincher, Tom Cruise, Michael Bay, and all of our like yeah. leading characters in this story, where how they survive to today or don't. Mm-hmm as you know some of these people have passed on that we're covering and how they went from being kind of the guys who may have ruined the vibes of like the hippie era new hollywood with bringing in this commercialized aesthetics and commercial background mm-hmm. to today being our last hopes for <laughs> individualized personal filmmaking like how michael bay went from being an enemy to a hero with ambulance this past year. Man, yeah, it is crazy that, like, yeah, Michael Bay is, like, everyone, he was, like, the enemy for so long, and it's, it's like, yeah, he's, he's, like, yeah, he's the last, he's the last beacon of hope. He's, like, a, an original voice. He, he's become a unique voice breathing life into cinema, which is an insane thing to say. Like, if you went back in time and told you you're, 1998 done that i'm sure his head would like explode 
<laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And so we're hoping to chronicle this entire thing. That's why we're adding David Fincher to the story. And we have one more director who we are adding to the story shortly. We will keep that under wraps, though, who that is. But they've come up before. We've covered one of their we've even covered one of their movies before. And I think we're actually going to recover. Recover. recover oh, man. This movie. Yeah. In the future for a second, a second look at a movie. Pat, Patrick and I we're not fully fond of. Let's say that movie, uh, you know, there's a little hint for the audience. Let's say that movie really grinded our gears. It grinded our gears. If um, if you have a poker game that keeps interrupt being interrupted by your asbestos filled house and eight <laughs> and eighty five like Roman Catholic Irish Catholic kids, um, yeah, <laughs> the world's worst Catholics. Do you have a tattoo on your back that really sums up your character? <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> like, oh, I didn't realize that. Like, it's like, it's like if uh, a tattoo that screams, oh, what if the Eastern Promises took place in Boston? Yeah. But yeah. not. Yeah. Bo- Boston, Brooklyn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we got a lot of fun stuff to come. But next week is, of course, Con Air and Armageddon. This is going to be a big highlight episode, I think. So for Patrick, I'm Don. We will see you next week. Nice. Bye.